The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Broadcaster and journalist Dave Fanning joins me now. Dave, an absolute pleasure to talk to you, if you can believe it. I was out running this morning, Dave. I'm, tra- I'm training for the marathon. Yeah. I'm not sure if I mentioned that to anyone running the marathon. And I was listening yeah. to Fanning's Fab 50 while I ran. So there we have it. This is fortuitous from, timing. Hold on a second now. Fanning's Fab 50 from which year? From 1997. Oh, right. Yeah, okay, exactly. But it, regardless of the year, Dave, as you know, since you pick it, you two are always in the top five, if not the top three. Well, I whoa, 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 whoa. Ah, I never pick are. it. I've got nothing to do with picking the Fab 50. It's the listeners who used to, it used to be three songs on a postcard <laughs> or a those, stamped addressed envelope. Those are no, the people, days. It, it, yeah, those were the days. In fact, those were the days when you 2 could get to a fifth album. Like the amount of bands now who would never get that far. And that's the best. But if you have a record deal and can actually, you know, release one album and go up the next rung of the ladder and the next rung of the ladder. And that's what happened with them and so many bands in the 80s. It doesn't happen anymore. So this, this was the fifth album. Where were you 2 prior to its release? I mean, how would you describe their, their status okay, in the world of music? Pretty simple, really. Uh, they had a song, an album called Boy, then October and then War. They were the first three. Then they changed things a bit with The Unforgettable Fire, particularly with a couple of the songs, a sort of homecoming and the title track. And then they brought, and obviously they had huge hits from the previous album, like New Year's Day and Pride. And they were a really big band at the time. Then they brought out a live album, Wonder of Blood Red Sky. And to me, that was the end of part one. I don't know if the band saw it that way, but I did. And they were in a position then like with Live Aid and even Self Aid here and a bunch of other things they did that all they had to do in the same way, really, as, you know, um, what do you call him? Bruce Springsteen had done just a few years before that for his seventh album. He had brought out a few albums like, you know, they were odd, like Darks on the Edge of Town, The River, Nebraska. He was kind of at a point that if he just brought out one amazing album, he was going to be in the stratosphere. I'm like, not just number one, but even past number one. It was the same with you too, in some ways, that if they just released this, thing it wouldn't just be that they'd be superstars they'd be just further than that and they spent their time on it and they really meant it and they got into it totally in terms of remember the first five years of the 80s they'd spent about four or five months of every one of those years in America and they totally got themselves lost in this it was going to be called the two Americas it was all about that the real America versus the mythical America and you can go into so much detail about what all the songs were about and the way it was recorded and all the rest even though it was mostly recorded here in various parts of Dublin point is that uh, it worked and uh, 20 5 million albums says it later it's one of the biggest selling albums of all time and was the success immediate I mean say from the, the, yeah. the critics was it warmly welcomed warmly welcomed absolutely it certainly was the success was immediate the first three songs in the in the days again going back to when singles actually meant something in the days when singles meant something the first two songs went straight to number one in America where the streets have no name was the third one that also made top 10 I made there was lots of three number ones in lots of parts of the world that really fueled the album as well because that kind of means daytime play and it was really well received there's other great songs on it too like In God's Country and Red Hill Mining Towns on that even Trip Through Your Wires is I know a favourite of a lot of people I know my favourite is probably One Tree Hill and then there's Exit and Mothers That Disappeared the whole lot together it just made a great sound I didn't even mention what do you call it Bullet the Blue Sky and all that and the one about Dublin of course they're running to stand still so it was a perfect album yeah perfect and how much did it diverge from the albums that came before it I mean you say that that was the end the live album was maybe the end of the first act so I mean is this more uh, redolent of what came after than what came before 
not so much relative to what came after us. He was very different to what came before. There was something about this. They were lost in this business of the desert as a symbol. And they had, I think one of the problems with U2 at the time was that their kind of um, music from behind them was punk music. And they didn't really know the roots of the blues or anything like that, which they went searching for in the next album, Rattle and Hum, much to a lot of people's chagrin. I thought it was a fantastic, I always loved those kind of sprawling double albums. But I mean, like they had met around this time, Dylan Morrison, as in Van, the Water Boys had done a bit. There was Mick and Keith from the Stones. They had met a lot of the people who would tell you, well, actually, blues music is where it's at, or, or it should be the roots of what you're doing. And they did a lot of, like, you can feel a lot of that on the on the Joshua Tree, where you couldn't really on the previous albums. Not that there was any harm in that, it's just that that's not where they were coming from. And, I mean, in Ireland at the time, what was the reception to it? I, they, you know... They kind of do rub people up the wrong way sometimes, and I don't know. As a, I don't want to get into uh, litigate that whole debate whether it's just Irish begrudgery or, or or whatever. But but well, did that exist at the time? The kind of the the pushback against them, if I describe it that way. Well, when you say the Irish begrudgery, it's actually there's a lot of people around the world who begrudge. I mean, you're supposed to make all your money and live in your ivory tower and not try to pretend or not try to actually mean it as Bono does to try and do good in the world and you just people just laugh at you and you put your head above the parapet and you're gone mm. but I mean that's what he does and that's what he always did he always wore his heart in his sleeve so there you go but I mean like what what happened with the Joshua Tree was they were touring with it at the time and I don't think they were too happy with necessarily a lot of what was going on but if you talk to anybody in the crew and like, each gig each night became bigger and bigger and bigger the whole thing just became so huge with the Joshua Tree and it was because of the result of that and they suddenly moved from kind of, well, they weren't playing pubs, obviously, and they weren't playing um, kind of, you know, I don't know, ballrooms or whatever it was, like the Olympic or the Vicar mm. Street here. They were, they were well into the kind of going from the arenas, which is nine to 10,000, to stadiums, which is 50, 60,000. And that was happening all during this. It was just huge. And I, I mean, is there a, I know we're meant to be talking just specifically about this album, but I mean, is that the real evidence of, of, of their musical longevity? Is that they're still a stadium band? Well, I'll tell you, in the 1970s, Led Zeppelin were the big rock band and they kind of got there five years. Then John Bonham died and it all kind of fell apart. Mm. And, you know, like a lot of bands just get that amount of time. And I'm not saying you start going to Bakley's Variety Club and going up the M1 in your transit van playing the hits to fish and chip people for the rest of your life, as some bands do when they've had a few hits. But with you 2 like, you know, they got all the, like they had Live Aid in 1985, just before this album, a couple of years before this album, and they didn't feel they did a good gig. They all, uh, the, the, the kind of, I don't know, the rise in sales of everybody who played Live Aid, the biggest rise in sales was this band, U2. A lot of people were going, what's all this about? They brought out an EP in 86, in between Under a Blood Red Sky and The Joshua Tree, and it's called Wide Awake in America, and they had a version of a song from The Unforgettable Fire on it called Bad, a live version, which really changed everything thing and people were expecting something and got it but the thing is that like you know you think that that's it then by 1980 or sorry by 1990 it's all over it's fine you know they've done what they had to do they've conquered the world they were the biggest band ever covered a time magazine which used to mean something also blah 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 great then they come out two years later where they supposedly dream it all up again and they bring out what many U2 fans, I think most U2 fans would say is their best album. And they brought in new kinds of music and that was Octone Baby. And then they conquered the 90s and then they conquered the noughties. And, you know, basically they were probably the biggest band in the last 10 years too and they're still doing it. So that's completely rewriting the rule book. I mean, in many ways they should be gone long ago. They're not because they're good. 
Well, if you think the release of the Joshua Tree in 1987 was Ireland's greatest moment, go to newstalk.com and vote accordingly. Dave, an absolute pleasure and thanks a million for chatting to us. Thanks a million. Thank you very much. Dave Fanning, broadcaster and journalist. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.